0: Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Arrow Beach. We have been in a series called Tell All Your Friends. We're going to be in Galatians 2. And we've been learning uh, to do what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus tells us to go into all the world and share the message of hope that is found in Him. And it is important and powerful when individuals talk about what God has done in their lives, and I'm sure if fear wasn't uh, a reality for us or stage fright, we could give the mic to just about every single person in this room, and they could talk about something that God has done in their life, and many students have, many students have come up here and shared what God has done in their life, and we love, uh, we love it when we hear from students, don't we? Student shares are the best. If you've never done a student share, this is a side note, it's not part of my message, but if you've never done a student share, but God's done something in your life, and you want to just... We want to celebrate with you, and you want an opportunity to do that. Tell your small group leader, like, man, I really feel like I could do a student share. We would love uh, to hear from you. So that's kind of a random plug. Um, but it's important and powerful when individuals talk about what God has done in their life. But sharing the hope of Jesus is not just in what you say. It's also seen in how you live. And this is really what we're going to discuss tonight. And I've taught of this message. If you take notes, you could write this down. Whose life are you living? Whose life are you living? And uh, we're in Galatians 2 verse 16, and I'll read it to you. I'm reading from the NLT. It says this. Yet, somebody say yet. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me just pause for just a moment, because already there's some things that are uh, implied in these verses. If we need to be made right with God, then we must be—we must have been made wrong with God. Are you with me? There must be something that's caused a division or a fracture or a divide between us and God. And the Bible makes it clear and our own life makes it clear that it's sin, it's mistakes, it's error, it's being unholy or unjust, it's being not kind, not merciful. It means we're broken. And so we've been made wrong with God because of our own sin and because of inherited sin. But then it says, yet we know. There's a confidence that we can have that a person can be made right with God. And then we're told how? By faith in Jesus Christ. Not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith uh, in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I have already torn down. Essentially, this is what he's saying we're made right with God through faith in Jesus, it's not by our good behavior. It's not by our law being a law-abiding citizen. It's not by following what he's referring to. The writer is referring to the Torah, the Old Covenant, the, the first sort of five books of your Bible that describe how we're supposed to have relationship with God pre-Christ. He says, we're not going to be made right with God by keeping the law. And then he says, 4, verse 19, When I tried to keep the law... It condemned me. In other words, the, the laws, the, what the law is good for is to show us how much we fail. Right? We can just use the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is God should be first in our life. Most of us already failed. Uh, the Ten Commandments says you shouldn't, you can't lie, steal, or cheat. Now the rest of us are like, yep, been there. And if you're like, no, that's not me. Well, you're a liar, and then you put yourself on that list. Right? So even in the even in the Ten commandments. We just listed off a couple of them. And we all recognize, like, yeah, we're, we've messed up. Like, we can't keep it. And if you're like, nope, still not convinced, just ask your parents. Have I ever made any mistakes? And they'll laugh. They'll be like, yeah, you've made some mistakes. Like, your report card shows how many mistakes you made. <laughs> like, you, we, we all have fallen short. We've all messed up. We've all, because of our sin, we can't be found right with God, and the law just shows us how imperfect we actually are. So when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless for if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Oh, foolish Galatians, that's who he's writing to. I love that. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask that you would speak to us. Again, Lord, we ask that you would help us to focus on you, uh, eliminate distractions, maybe the busyness of, of our life and our schedule, or maybe just the, the energy in the room could distract us. God, we want to tune into what you want to say tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, "Amen." Man. Did you ever wish you had a different name when you were younger? Yeah. Like you, you like maybe it was like a person's name you heard or like a person on TV, and you're like, "Oh man, that's such a cool name." I remember growing up and just thinking, like, "My name's Nathan. Like that's such." Blah so boring. In middle school, I decided I'd go by Nate because I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And I'm still stuck with the decision I made in middle school. I feel like that's not fair, right? Like you make a decision in middle school, you should have like a chance when you turn 18, like, hey, all the decisions you made in school, middle school, you still want to roll with that or no? Like, no, probably not. Like I like my name Nathan now. But anyways, um, when I was, when I was younger, the name that I wish I had was the name Zeke. Is anybody named Zeke here before I make fun of this name? Zeke is a dog's name. Like, why, why would I want to be Zeke? Like, that's so lousy. Sorry, Zeke, if any Zeke's in the building. Um, like, Zeke, but for whatever reason, I'm like, I would be so much cooler if my name was Zeke. Like, everyone would be like, man, Zeke, he's so cool. <laughs> that guy, Zeke, he, man, I like that guy. Who's Nathan? He's he, What a loser. Zeke. That's a cool guy. I asked Hannah, my wife, what, uh, what she wished her name was when she was younger. She wished her name was Greer. She's a strong name. I've never heard it before. Is anybody named Greer? 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 No? I'm like, all right, Greer it is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so cool as a Greer. Um, anybody else? What's a name that you wish you had? Is that your name? Anthony? You just wish your name was Anthony. Why? You want to be Tony? Oh, Ant is pretty cool, actually. I'll give you that. Anybody else? Any cool names? What? Right? That is a pretty strong name. Yeah. Ricardo? That's a good one. Yeah. Glitter. All right. I'm right, moving on. No more. No more raising hands. I don't want to know anymore. We can talk about it later. There is something funny though. Like I think what happens is we imagine if our name was different, or if our name was what we wanted it to be, then maybe our personality might change a little bit. We have a little more confidence. We would be that person or that name that we've sort of imagined our life to be would then equal something different in our own life. And I think part of it is maybe rebellion against our parents or trying to find something interesting about ourselves, but it's really an attempt to discover who we are. I think that's interesting about names because names were given, right? We have no choice. It is like that's that's just your parents are like Doug. <laughs> Sorry if your name's Doug, it's just what came to my mind. We're like, this is a full-on Doug, here it is. And like, we, there's an aspect where we're, I think we're, we're, we're sort of pulling against, like if you have these imaginations, like, I, is that who I am, right? Well, who am I? And this, this is sort of the question we begin to ask. And I think the name is sort of, for, for many of us, that first kind of step. Who, who are we as individuals, Like, who are we personally? I'm not just, like, this situation. I'm not just this name or whatever. And this is a journey that most people are on, a journey of self-discovery or trying to figure out what makes our life significant. And I think the name is just a sort of silly perspective, but many of us have asked those questions. Maybe it's not my name, but what makes my life matter? What makes me significant? Who am I? What's my identity? What am I here for? But I can't, can I tell you that just the fact that you're alive is significant? Just the fact that you're breathing is significant? I shared this with you before. I'm going to share it again because I think it's important. This is a quote. It's going to be on the screen. It says, one scientist calculated the numbers and found that a person's odds of being alive are 1 in 10 to the 2,685,000th power. So that's, that's 1 or that's, that's a number with over two and a half million zeros <laughs> after it. Those are the odds of you just being alive. The scientist explains that these are the same, same odds as having a group of two million people, each roll a trillion-sided die, and every roll landing on the same number. Okay, our brain can't even fathom this idea. Like, what even is a, a, a trillion-sided die? We can't even... What is that? And yet, two million people all rolling it and every single time landing on the exact same number. It's such a miracle we're all here. And because it's such a miracle we're all, we're all here, it forces us to ask the question, why? If I am... the the miracle of of the the same odds as two million people rolling the same trillion-sided die and, and it landing on the same number, why am I here? Or better yet, what kind of life should I live? If the fact that it's a miracle that you're breathing, that you're here on planet Earth in 2023 in Vero Beach, the fact that you're here is a miracle, what kind of a life should you live? What should matter? What should be important? What should I use with my time as, as limited it is and as valuable as it is? How should I occupy myself? What should I do? What should I be about? What is my life for? And I want to, I want to present sort of three options or three observations as to the way people can live their lives. Three ways that people sort of tend to, the, the, here they are, one and 10 to the 200 plus million. And how do we live our life? Well, number one, many people live careless lives. They live careless lives. What I mean by that is even with the data saying otherwise, many people live their life as if it doesn't matter. They feel insignificant, invisible, or even in the way. Their life is just a random, chaotic accident, and the world will continue to spin on without you. And this is so much of what we're led to believe. Whether it stems from the evolutionary theory that suggests that you're only here because a trillion years ago a bird grew legs, or because you're in a family that doesn't treat you fairly or maybe it stems from the fact that our standards of success and beauty stem from people with plastic surgery whose parents were famous i think so much of uh, of our our identity or our lack thereof stems from a world and a and a sort of undertone that says you really don't matter You really don't have that much value because you don't look this way or because you don't talk this way or because you don't have anything to offer. And so it's really easy for us to slip into this mindset of, I'm just an accident. My life has no purpose, no value, and so I'm just insignificant, invisible, and in the way. But the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. The Bible says that you weren't an accident, but that you were created. You were formed and knit together in your mother's womb carefully and intentionally by a God who loves you and knows you. All your days and good works were marked out for you to walk in before you even took your first step. The God who created you actually wants to know you. And like we read about, he provided a way for us to know him. And we have believed in Christ so that we may be made right with God because our faith in Christ. Listen to me. Your life has value. It has infinite value. So much so Jesus gave up his life so that you could find life in him. And many people live their existence just careless. I'm an accident. I'm in the way. It doesn't matter. No one sees me. Can I tell you that the God who created you sees you? In fact, the Bible says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. So pointless to know. Right? It's like, does it add any value to you as a person? Not really. And they're always falling out. <laughs> Sometimes we buzz it. Sometimes we have a mullet. Sometimes we try to make it look good. like, who, what an insignificant thing to know. And yet God cares about the details of your life. But some of us live careless lives. The second thing is people live culture's lives. The verses we read in Galatians ended with a funny question. I I even like how it said. It says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? That's funny language, isn't it? He's being, like, very dramatic. You fools, who has cast a spell on you? Another translation says, who has bewitched you? The idea is who tricked you into believing a wrong idea about God? And this wrong, their wrong idea about God was that in order to have a relationship with God, they needed to become Jewish and keep the old covenant law. And it's a long, complicated story, but basically, these Gentiles, non-Jews, became followers of Jesus by placing faith in Jesus. And then this group known as Judaizers tried to tell them that it wasn't enough. That faith in Jesus wasn't enough. You actually had to do all these other things. And so the apostle Paul gets fired up. In fact, this letter, the, the book of Galatians, is, is known as the all-caps book. Like Paul put caps lock on and wrote his letter. You know what all caps mean? It means you're yelling. The whole book is caps lock on screaming, you fools, who has cast a spell on you? Who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you into thinking this wrong idea about God? All of that to say they were tricked into believing something wrong by the people around them. And this is where a lot of people form their ideas about what kind of life they should live. To put it simply, they do what everyone else says they should be doing. We get our whole personality and identity from the world around us. This could look like the team we're on or the people we follow or the music we listen to or the friends that we have. The Bible calls this the course of this world. This is the flow that the world is on. Everyone going in the same direction, prioritizing self, success, money, fame, or pleasure. The problem is that this road always leads to emptiness. That's why no matter how much money, fame, pleasure, or influence they have, people are always unhappy. Because this road, we think like, okay, if I get to the end of this road, if I make it, If I get famous, if I get wealthy, if I get into that school, if I have that thing, then I'll finally be happy. What we've seen the story play out, haven't we? Over and over again. If someone gets rich and famous and they're miserable, they get famous for a second and then people forget about them. They made it, they're in the NFL or they're doing this thing and then everyone's just, okay, it's over. It's the past. Because that road, that destination never actually leads to satisfaction it's like that old adage you hear if everyone was jumping off a cliff would you do it in other words if everyone was doing something that was going to cause pain and disappointment would you join in and unfortunately most people do most people are like okay what's at the bottom well you're going to be unhappy you're going to be alone you're not going to be satisfied you're going to have regret cannonball (laughs) sign me up That sounds great. That's the life I want. Yep. I'm going to follow that course. And many people decide, you know, I'm going to build my life. I'm going to live my life by what the world around me tells me I should live. And then the third thing we see in this text is we can live Christ's life. Christ's life. I want to read those verses again because they're powerful explanation of the life we're called to live. It says, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died to the law, or trying to figure out myself myself. I can't do it. I'm not enough. I'll never have the answer. I'll never work hard enough. I'll never be good enough. I'll never have enough to where I'll finally be content. So I died to that. That's no longer me anymore so that I might live for God. Listen, real life is in living for God. My life then becomes a reflection of what God has done for me and a message to the world of what he can do for others. Your life is a reflection of what God has done for you and a message to the world of what he can do for them. And we're told we should live this way because he loves us. When you feel alone, unseen, forgotten, or lost in the crowd, God knows you and he loves you. So much so that we're told that he gave himself for us. He gave himself for us because we couldn't fix ourselves. We didn't have the answers. Our own goodness couldn't do it. Our own religious efforts or ideas can't do it. The people around us can't do it. Only Jesus can infuse meaning, identity, and direction into our lives. And so Jesus gave himself for us. He really got down to our level and said, hey, there's a better way to live. You can live for so much more. You don't have to be stuck. You don't have to feel insignificant or you don't have to be caught up in what's going on around you. You can live for so much more. He says, no, so Paul says, I died to that old life. Those priorities aren't mine anymore. That identity isn't mine anymore. My own goodness can't save me. My own uh, my own church attendance can't save me. I need a new life. And so he says, I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Man, isn't that a powerful picture? Jesus loving us so much that he gave himself for us to just show us to get on our level and say there is more. There's so much more for you to live in and for. And Jesus can infuse meaning and identity and direction into our lives. Worship team, you guys can come up here. We're going to close Two things as we do. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, you can know him. He wants to bring you into the life you were created to live in friendship and relationship with him. And not only in friendship with him, relationship with him, but in partnership with him in what he's doing. But if you do know him, if you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, it's no longer you who live, but Christ in you. And your life is now a reflection of him. How you live communicates to the world the life that anyone can have in Christ. We do this through our joy. We do this through our perspective on difficult circumstances. We do it from our objectives, what's important to us. And even how we treat people day to day becomes a reflection of what God has done and can do in our lives. So as we close I just want to really give two simple invitations one if you want to know Jesus it's so easy it's not by doing it's not by figuring it out it's not by having all the answers it's by trusting in Jesus we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and the second invitation is if you are a follower of Jesus you're like yes I, I I've placed faith I love him let your life be a reflection of what it means to follow and love Jesus. Let your life be a picture of what it can mean for anybody around you to have the joy and the perspective and the peace that God invites us into.